Welcome to the Go Lead Everything podcast. Do you aspire to become the best leader you can be? Then come along with me and GLE. Faith, love, integrity, courage. Four key values of great leaders all around the world. I'm Phil Swanson, and I'm on a mission to bring you leaders from all walks of life and arm you with the tools and mindset to lead effectively in whatever you are called to do. Are you ready? Because it's time to go lead everything. What is going on, everybody? Man, I got a real bell ringer of a guest today. He is a seasoned cross-functional leader with 20 plus years of experience. He's been in digital strategy, human resources, leadership development, operational excellence. This guy is a well-rounded individual, great leader. He also hosts the Way of the Wolf podcast. Sean Barnes, welcome to GLE, my friend. Thank you, Phil. It's an honor to be here. I'm really excited to be on the show and start talking through a lot of content. I know whenever you were on our show a few weeks ago, I just thoroughly enjoyed it, and I've gotten so much positive feedback from everybody, so I'm, I'm really looking forward to this conversation. Well, awesome, man. Thanks for that. Thanks again for having me on. It was a blast, dude. I gotta, I'm still I'm looking at your background, man. You got a badass studio going on. I got to upgrade my, my podcast studio game. <laughs> I appreciate it. Thank you. It's awesome, dude. So the Way of the Wolf you know, the podcast you're here, you're now you're, you're doing some really cool things. Let's walk all the way back to the beginning of Sean Barnes and just let the listeners know a little bit about, you know, what were those critical experiences growing up for Sean Barnes that made you who you are today? Yeah, I, I think that's, that's a great starting point for sure. And as I think back early in my life, kind of grew up in that low, low to middle income class and was, was taught at a very early age that if I wanted something, I was going to have to work for it. So when most kids were playing sports in high school, I was out working. I actually had two jobs. So I worked part-time at a kind of a Subway sandwich shop and then also would bus tables at a restaurant nights and weekends. So kind of my family instilled those work values very early on in my life. And it was, it was challenging at first, but I was also very driven. Like I wanted, I wanted that new truck. I wanted that new car. I, I was just very driven And my parents and grandparents basically said, well, okay, if you want it, go get it. Yeah. We're not going to stop you, but you're going to have to earn it. That's good. And so I think that's something that I, I very much appreciate about my family as they, as they raised me. And it, it taught me very valuable lessons in terms of work ethic and what it's going to take to be able to achieve the things you want to achieve. Mm -hmm. And then as I kind of move forward through high school and college, technology just always came easy to me. And I, I think that that really made sense for me to pursue a path in that realm. So, so I did. I ended up coming out of college, got a help desk job, then systems administrator, then IT manager, then director and vice president eventually, and, and made a I think I ended up having a, a pretty successful career by most standards in the IT realm. And I think part of that driver, part of what drove me was that I wanted that success. I was setting very specific goals. I wanted to hit that $100,000 a year salary threshold. I wanted that VP title. 
And over the years, and this kind of started happening in my mid thirties, where I started realizing I'm hitting these goals, which is really exciting. Yeah. But once I got there, it was, Hey, well, what's the next one? What's the next one? And it got to a point to where technology, it wasn't a challenge for me anymore. And also it wasn't as fulfilling. So I realized that I had to start searching to figure out, okay, what is something that will be more fulfilling for me? What is that next opportunity? Trying to keep sight of like, what is a calling that might satisfy that, that itch or scratch that itch that I've had? Yeah. There was an opportunity to step up and, and lead the human resources department at the company that I work for. Well, I say, I say opportunity. It was actually one that I saw the opportunity, but I had to fight to get it. So it's actually kind of an interesting story. If you don't mind, if I just go ahead and share this story, yeah, yeah, it's one that's important it. to me. And I think it's important to my life. I was, I was going to ask you about it anyway, because, you know, when you think of an IT guy, you don't instantly go to the, the HR guy. Right. Yeah, no, it it seems like an odd sort of transition, right? Exactly. It's not a common path that people go down for sure. Yeah. And and actually, anytime I share that story or people hear that I do both, there's definitely a lot of head scratching that goes on. Yeah. Yeah. So the company that I work for, I've been with them for about four years. And unfortunately, there had been a lot of turnover at the senior HR leadership level. So and we had had two vice presidents come and go, and we had two directors come and go. So it was really just a revolving door at the top. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that myself and our technology team were struggling with is, and this is just kind of one example, but we would get the black eye because of HR's lack of processes or lack of collaboration and communication. And as an example, human resources would hire an, a new employee and then be walking them around the office, introducing them to everybody. And then they'd come to me and say, Hey, where's their laptop? I had no clue. You were hiring anybody. You got to tell us <laughs> that this is going on. And so then HR would go back to the business and say, Oh, well, it doesn't have their equipment ready. We're just going to, they're just going to have to sit here for the next few days while we order a laptop, get it configured, get everything sure. set up. So that was frustrating for me. Yeah. And I tried to, coach all of the HR leaders on, Hey, let's just have some conversations, loop us in. Let's, let's collaborate and work on this together. Sure. It just, it seemed to kind of fall on deaf ears. So when the fourth HR leader left, I went to the CEO and asked her if I could lead the human resources team. And it was, she had a very puzzled look on her face and like, well, wait, you're the IT guy. That doesn't really make any sense. I said, yes, I know I'm an IT guy, but I really think that I can help the HR team come together. The the company was the result and is the result of many acquisitions over the years. And so I told her we had an initial conversation, kind of talked through it back and forth. And her initial response was no. She appreciated me for raising my hand and stepping up and wanting to, to lead another function, but she felt it was best for us just to start interviewing and find another HR leader. Sure. So I went back to my office and home and kind of licked my wounds and thought, okay, well, that didn't quite go how I was expecting it to. And I ended up seeking out some guidance from a friend and mentors and like, Hey, I really want to do this. And we kind of talked through it a little bit. And I decided to reach back out to our CEO 
and say, I would love to have one more conversation on this topic. Mm-hmm. So she carved out some time on her calendar. This time around, I went in and sat in her office with more of a fully baked plan. I wanted to come in and explain the why behind my desire to lead the HR team. And my, my pitch was really, hey, give me six months to a year to work with the HR team. No, I don't know employment law. No, I don't know payroll processes, but I do know how to build teams. And I know how to get them to function as a cohesive unit and work together. I said, Mm -hmm. until we get a foundation built where this team can actually function well together and not have all sorts of infighting of who's doing what, Mm -hmm. no one's going to be successful. And the other aspect that after processing and thinking through it more, I I explained to her that we have had a bad habit of hiring HR managers Mm -hmm. and putting them in vice president level roles. And Phil, you know, as well as I do, that it takes a very different skill set to be a vice president than it does to be a manager. Not to say one's better than the other. It's just different skill sets are required to be successful. Yeah, 100%. So my pitch was, hey, give me six months to a year to come in, build this foundation, yeah, get the team going on kind of an upward trajectory, then Mm -hmm. let's bring in a seasoned HR executive Mm -hmm. to kind of pick up the baton and, and carry it from there. I love that story, Sean. I, the, I, I think we talked about this maybe briefly when we chatted before, but you know, just thinking about being in that situation and, and your persistence to go back, you know, to take more time to invest to, you know, you know, many people wouldn't be willing to spend a bunch of time putting up, you know, they've already heard no, now they're going to go take it away and spend more time trying to put a plan together. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I think one of the reasons why many successful people do succeed is it's, it's their persistence. They just won't quit. They know what they want. They're going to go for it. Um, you know, the thinking grow rich sort of mentality. I, I was listening to that classic book the other day. It, it just something as simple as never quitting. Right. It seems it seems silly. Right. But just keep going towards your goals. And you touched a little bit on setting goals and setting specific goals. I, I found it interesting because I, you mentioned you had these goals of six figures and and, uh, you know, be in this role, whatever, you know, I had sort of similar goals. Like there's, there's a video of me from my college days saying, you know, I just want to be an engineer in energy, right? That's what I wanted to be. And, and then I started thinking when I got into my late twenties, every goal I've really set for myself, I've achieved like any real goal I had in my head that I really worked for came to be. And then I, you know, I was like, in, I was like 25, I was kind of having, I call it my, my quarter life crisis or whatever. But um, my quarter wife crisis, I guess I'd call it. But, you know, I wanted I wanted to get married and I'm trying to find a wife. So I sat down and I wrote I actually wrote all the things I wanted out of a wife um, and, and you know, got real clear in my head on what I what I would want in a, in a spouse. Right. And, you know, it, I wasn't I was 30 before I even wrote goals. So just talk about, you know, share with our audience is how important it is to, you know, be really clear on your goals. And how do, how do you go about setting goals? And that's, that's a, a great topic and, and one that I have a lot of conversations with different people on. And like I mentioned earlier, I, I had, for me, I found it beneficial to set five-year goals. Like I wanted to hit this salary by the time I was 30. I wanted the VP title by the time I was 35. And so for me, it gave me a target to shoot for. And one of the things that I think is so important when people start looking at setting goals. A lot of times they need help in trying to figure out the best way to set goals. And also 
really comes down to, is that really a goal or is that just a task to accomplish? So I find a tremendous amount of value in some of the people that I coach, just kind of helping them map out those goals. I like to start with a framework of, hey, let's say, where do you want to be in five years? And sometimes they'll say, okay, well, I want to do this. Okay, well, that's really a, a task, but what is a goal that you want to accomplish? And once we, we kind of hone in on what is their goal, at that point, you can work backwards from there mm -hmm. and start figuring out what are the steps that need to occur to achieve that goal. And so for, as an, I'm just going to use my kind of journey as, as an example, sure. by the time I was 35, I wanted a VP title. At the time I was a director, but I've, I've had people come in and say, Hey, I want to be a vice president. And they're maybe uh, an, an administrator or just stepped into a manager role and said, okay, well, if you want to be a VP in a given period of time, first, here are this, here's what the step progression looks like. You've got to get to manager, maybe senior manager, director, and then vice president. And to achieve those things, you're going to have to learn these skills so maybe effective communication is something that's very important for a senior leader. Mm -hmm. So let's map out, okay, once you get to that manager or senior manager level, here are the skills that you're going to need to learn to be able to step up into that next function. You need to be able to network. You need to learn how to sell. You need to learn how to effectively communicate. And whenever I say sell, I'm not talking about sell a product. You have to learn how to sell yourself, sell ideas. So once you have that big goal, that five-year goal, you start working backwards and building a framework. Mm -hmm. The thing that also some people forget that once you have that framework, it's okay to deviate from it. You have to also be able to pivot and adapt based on new information that occurs. Or let's just say you end up leaving one company and going to another. Are you hitting the reset button and having to start over? Or are right. you stepping up into more of a, a senior role, maybe mm -hmm. not quite at that VP level? These are all things that you have to realize. And these are all skills that you have to attain to be able to reach that goal. So mm -hmm. to circle back to your question, it really comes down to, hey, let's, let's set your goal if it's five years or 10 years or three or whatever that time frame is, and then mm -hmm. work backwards from there. Yeah. Um, you know, there's all sorts of stuff online, like uh, smart goals. I encourage people to go through and, and research those. There's different ways of doing it, but until you actually put thought into it, you're never going to achieve your goals. I see so, so many people that just, they work, 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 work as hard as they can. Yeah. But they're just kind of on a treadmill. They're not right. really going anywhere right? because they haven't set a, a specific direction that they, they want to, to head. So if y'all are listening right now, you got to go follow Sean at the underscore Sean Barnes, S E A N B A R N E S on Instagram. He's Sean Barnes on LinkedIn at, at the underscore Sean Barnes, pretty much everywhere else. Go give him a follow. He's got some really good insight here. And I, I think it's really important as you know, you think about your goal setting, you think about the things you're trying to accomplish, really look, you know, I've heard Jordan Peterson talk about this. There's so much variability in the world right now. It, it almost doesn't make sense to set goals farther than three to five years out because you just have no clue where you're going to be. But but the importance of having that guiding sort of vision on where you want to go, I, it seems like people very often, and I know I did in, in the majority of my 
life until recent years, just kind of accidentally went along with whatever came my way. Right. I had, I had certain things in my head that were put there by other people in my environment. Right. And, um, you know, I, I liked what you said at the, the very beginning, you know, you wanted more, you, you, you grew up and, and, and you just wanted more and your family gave you great advice that you're going to have to work for it and, and setting goals and, and clear tasks and, and objectives to get there is, is really how you're going to get there. Right. It's, it's not just going to come to you by, by magic or anything. It is. And, you know, one of the things that's also pretty interesting, I'm going to kind of continue on my journey just a little bit. Yeah. Whenever I stepped in and started leading the human resources team, there were seven HR managers that reported directly to me at that point in time, six of which wholeheartedly 100% thought they were going to be the next director. When the Mm -hmm. previous director left, six of them, all right, it's my turn. I'm the, I'm the new person. I'm going to be leading this team. It's always now. a fun position to be in. Sean. Oh, it was just thrilling. So as I'm having one-on-one conversations with all of these people, I quickly realized, okay, this is going to be a little bit tricky. Mm-hmm. Now, fortunately, the intent and plan was for me to only be in the role for six months to a year. Mm-hmm. And so the way I ended up approaching those conversations was saying, hey, that's, that's fantastic. Here, here are some things that you would need to do in terms of being able to learn and grow and figure out how to bring the team together to be able to successfully run this team and lead sure. this team, I should say. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> I was very open with them. I said, hey, I'm not going to be here that long. My role is to get all of the team to come together and function as a cohesive unit. Yeah. So if you want the opportunity to step up and start leading the human resources team. Fantastic. Let's work together. Let's figure out how we make this happen. And I'll put you in front of the yeah. CEO, let you interview once, once my time is up, sure. but here are the things that you're going to have to learn. And so fortunately I had been working with all of these managers for years sure. because we were at the same corporation. And what I found was while Phil, I'm going to be completely transparent Whenever I approached and wanted this role, it was it was another notch for me to accumulate in, in terms of growth in my career. It's like, all right, sure. well, here's another opportunity for me to do this. Mm-hmm. And as I look back at my goals, salary, VP, oh, now I'm leading another team. They were all very inwardly focused. Mm-hmm. And the six months to a year or so that I worked with the team, Yes, it felt like I was drinking from a fire hose, from seven different fire hoses all over the place. Right. But I went into it with the intent of, hey, I'm going to help Sally learn to grow and be as successful as possible. I'm going to be coaching Sharon. I'm going to be coaching Jason. I'm coaching and helping all of these people Mm -hmm. be successful because so many of them wanted to lead the team. Right. And I think that was the first true experience of having a concerted effort and focus on building members of the team for me. And I came to find that that was so fulfilling. I was so focused on how do I help each of them become successful? And in the end, and I know I've been saying this a lot recently, but all ships rise with the tide. And what Mm -hmm. ended up happening is the team came together. We restructured the team for the most part, everybody was excited and happy for their new role. The team was able to better support the corporation. 
we started getting better feedback from the business leaders and employees and things started heading in a better direction. Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of what ignited that passion and fire inside of me around helping others become the best version of themselves. And so what I find interesting about that is kind of in my mid thirties, I kind of had this shift of, it can't be about me. It has to be about everyone else on the team. And which was, I actually didn't realize that in that moment, I was just following what was fulfilling for me. But as I've reflected back over the past five years, because I'm going to be 40 in in three days, two days. Uh So, yeah. So as I've reflected back over the past five years, I've realized that was the turning point for me that for, for many of us and a a lot of leaders, they are intrinsically driven and and it's about, Hey, what can I achieve? What can I achieve? Mm -hmm. But once you flip that switch and realize that it's all about your team and building them, that's, true fulfillment. That's true happiness. And that's when even more success comes. And and I think I've shared this with you. So about seven months ago, I was asked to also lead safety transportation in the ESG initiatives, Hmm. which I I didn't want at first, whenever I was approached (laughs) about it, I said, no, I don't don't really think I I would be good for that. I don't think I want that. And in subsequent conversations, it came to pass and, and ended up being a good fit and working out well for us. Mm -hmm. So my career has continued to progress, but it it's not about the titles. It's not about the salary anymore. It's, it's about, Hey, this is yet another opportunity for me Mm -hmm. to bring all of these teams together Mm -hmm. and help all of them grow and, and be successful. So that's kind of in a, in a nutshell, what my journeys look like. But I think for me, that pivotal moment was in my mid thirties, whenever I also started leading human resources right. and getting the opportunity and exposure to working with those teams. And I also have to mention special shout out to a gentleman named Jason Hitchcock, who was our director and vice president of leadership development during this time, very much a coach and mentor to me over the years working with him and going in and being a part of his programs and his courses and like helping coach others in the corporation Mm -hmm. was also an opportunity for me to get exposure into that realm and continue to ignite that fire. And yeah, I love it, Sean. Yet the sales piece you touched on and just as you think about the value proposition of what you offer to a company, Right. I, I think many people, I know I did early in my career, especially, you know, you, you don't have necessarily maybe even the perspective to see how, how you specifically are bringing value to an organization. And, you know, I know lots of folks may even struggle with, you know, they're tasked with, hey, you know, value tracking. How do you, how do you track your value and your contribution to an organization? And it's, and for, you know, for the lower level employees, it, it can be difficult to do that. I mean, you can do it here and there and, this little project, that little project, but really understanding what the organization needs, what your leaders need, what, what they're trying to do that, that is the aspect of sales that I, you know, I think for me, I I always thought, uh, Oh, I would never want to be a salesperson or, you know, those sleazy salesmen, right. Uh, You know, used car salesman, Mm -hmm. that association, that negative connotation, it's really just a misunderstanding of what sales is. And all sales is, is meeting people's needs. It's solving problems for people. And, um, you know, being able to identify those problems and, and sell yourself right to, as a, as a problem solver 
for the organization is just such a valuable skill. And, and really the two, the two most important highest paid skills in the world are leadership and sales. And, and um, you know, they're, they're two, they're two uh, skills that, you know, you can see the score by the people following and the compensation, right? Like, yep. It's very clear if, uh, if you're good or bad at either of those. Right. So, um, you know, I think what you described as, as your ex- outward focus, your, you know, helping other people succeed many organizations and people, you know, they, they take the pressures and can take the pressures of the day-to-day job. They, you know, the, the environment they're in and, and the good leaders, instead of letting those cascade down through the organization, they, they block those pressures and, 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 you know, help empower people and raise them up in the organization, make them stronger. And, um, you know, I see a lot of opportunity for leaders to really just enable, empower, and, and let their people take ownership and accountability and, um, you know, really, really start having a founder's mentality. I don't know if you've ever read that book, Founder's Mentality. Um, it was one that was introduced to me recently, but, you know, I see a lot of cultural problems start in organizations where you, you know, maybe they want people to take ownership, but instead of, instead of, you know, kind of pulling back and allowing people and, and, and enabling people to do that, lots of the actions may actually do the total opposite thing of what, of what the organization might want to happen, right? It, it, it almost disempowers people and, and incentivizes people to not take ownership. And so I, I don't know, from an HR perspective, you see that in organizations and, and what would, advice would you give to leaders out there? I do. There's actually quite a bit to unpack there. I had to start taking some notes because some really good topics. And I think this speaks to the importance of leadership development and organizational development in businesses. This is something that's been overlooked, in my opinion, for far too long in many, many different industries. But what you see, and are you familiar with the Peter Principle? Yeah. Okay. So for those of you listening, if you're not, this is the Peter principle basically talks about how people in an organization have a tendency to get promoted just above their level of competency. And then they stall out and don't really progress any farther and and don't really add a lot of value in, in their organization. And I see this a lot, especially in highly technical roles, engineering and a lot in a lot in it actually, but let's just say, for an engineer, they have a tendency, or maybe they're the best engineer in the team. So, okay, well, most businesses will say, all right, let's have that person run the engineering team. Well, they right. may be a horrible communicator, have no <laughs> clue how to delegate. And, and this is something that as people progress in their careers, if they're passionate about designing and drawing completion tools, for example, right. that doesn't mean they're going to be a successful leader of the engineering team. And so what we see is people get promoted just above their level of competency and organizations by and large don't really spend a considerable amount of time and effort helping people develop those skills or realizing, is this person even in the right role? Mm-hmm. You know, I think it's uh, Simon Sinek that talks about it. Are people on uh, in the right seat on the bus type of a yeah. thing? Good to great. And so, yeah, exactly. But so, you know, that's, that's one aspect of what we're talking about. And the other is we start looking at people transitioning from an individual contributor to a leadership role. 
again, this kind of falls back into what we were talking about earlier, as far as those being entirely different skill sets. Mm-hmm. You, again, you may be an incredible engineer, but leading people, you may suck at, quite frankly. So as people step into leadership roles, especially those that have been high performers as an individual contributor for the majority of their life, they struggle with how to quantify the impact they have on the organization. Because in their mind, they're thinking, okay, well, I've designed X number of tools a year, or I've made this many number of revisions, done this many tests, and it's all like what they specifically have done. Once you start leading you become a force multiplier and your focus has to shift on how can I help John and Joe and and Sally become the best versions? How can I get all of them to go from designing one tool a year to three? Mm -hmm. That's difficult to quantify for for many people. And it's also difficult to say, hey, it's not about me anymore because in their mind, they're like, okay, well, now I'm leading people. I'm not designing tools. Where is the value? Like I'm not needed anymore. And this is something that I've seen with people that have progressed into manager or senior manager level roles. Like, well, if I'm their go-to is if I'm managing these people, then what am I doing? Right. And my response is, well, you're leading these people. Mm -hmm. That's the nature of your role. And and a lot of times they'll also think, well, if we have a downturn, which is very common in oil and gas, I'll be the first to go. Well, not really. You have to help them realize that, okay, you, you are very good at managing all these applications or designing these tools. So in the unfortunate event of a downturn, you have a number of skills that are very valuable to the corporation. So all of that to be said, when you kind of pull it all together, you have to be able to help leaders as they step up and help them realize the importance of becoming a force multiplier and helping everyone around them and even so, that can be difficult to quantify, but you you feel it. Right. I'm sure that in, in your corporation and any others that you work with, you can step into a team or into a room and you feel mm. the, the culture and the strength and the morale within any given team. Sure. And you know, this team has strong leadership. Mm-hmm. But how do you put a number on that? Yeah, you can definitely feel it. Mm-hmm. I, uh, you know, I, I think everyone would agree with that. I know, you know, as I think about what you just described, I, I've been reading, uh, rereading Thinking Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill, you know, the classic, right? Everybody's familiar with that one. Um, he talks in there about, you know, what is an, an educated man? I don't, I don't know if you're familiar with this story, but there's a story. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it was uh, Mr. Ford. Someone was trying to, uh, I guess, libel or slander, slander him or whatever and, and say he was ignorant. Right. Because he didn't know a bunch of stuff. And they had him like they had him on the stand kind of having him answer questions. They were trying to prove that he was ignorant of things. And, you know, he's, they're asking him all these, you know, silly sort of like school book sort of questions. And, and he ends up getting frustrated and basically saying, I've got a row of buttons on my desk that I can push to call anybody who can answer any question in the world to any problem. Right. Like, I, I don't need to clog up my mind with all this information. And one of the things that, that uh, the points made in that book is that being an educated man is, is not only just having knowledge, but being able to organize the knowledge in a way that's actually productive. And I, you know, I think it's really easy for people 
to think, oh, well, that person doesn't know a lot about that subject and think, oh, well, maybe, you know, they don't add a ton of value or whatever, and as opposed to, to really understanding that, you know, just because you know a lot about a subject doesn't necessarily mean you're able to take that knowledge and use it productively to produce value for an organization. And so that to me was the switch. And, and I love the way it was described in that book of, of, uh, you know, really being an educated man is, is well beyond just having knowledge. It's how do you use the knowledge? Right. And, um, mm-hmm. I'm not sure if you've read that book before, I'm sure you have at some point, but, uh, it's, uh, it's one of those books they say to just religion, you know, I was always kind of hokey pokey, hocus pocus, like, you know, doing incantations yeah. every morning, read your goals. Yep. Like I don't, from my Christian background, I always kind of question, I'm like, is this really what, what we're supposed to be doing? But you know, lots of successful people have, uh, have done those things and, and, uh, achieve great things. So, um, you know, one thing that I'd like to add there, and I think I like part of the reason I like sharing my journey is because I feel like some people can relate to it, but then also it, it was interesting as I think through my career path. And for me, it was, I want to go all the way to the top for it. I, it, I had goals to, to become a chief information officer. Well, sure. What's happened is the scope and the domains that I function in have have branched out. Hmm. And whenever I stepped in and started leading human resources, a lot of the frustration that the members of the team had was, why is the IT guy running HR? This doesn't make any sense. (laughs) And that's a very valid question. Sure. Now, fast forward four years later. Well, about to about six months ago, I stepped in and started leading safety, transportation, and ESG, like we mentioned earlier, and kind of through the grapevine, I heard comments were being made. Why is the HR guy running safety? For me, that's huge. I've been the IT guy for my entire life and career to be referred to as (laughs) the the HR HR guy. I was, I, I was thrilled. That's a win in my book. And so now leading all of these different functions, Sure. I think the important aspect of leadership is you realize you're never going to be the smartest person in the room. Your focus needs to be building a team so strong that you don't know who the leader is. I love that quote. I can't remember where I heard it from, but whenever I bring my team together, every single one of the leaders, they are experts in their domain. They're very well respected in the organization. And when one of them speaks, everyone listens, including me. Cool. And so while I don't really have a, a desk with a row of buttons, I have a cell phone. <laughs> I think we've been numbers from that technology, yeah. Sean. Ex- exactly. <laughs> I have I have a cell phone full of uh, numbers that are on my favorites list. Right, I know right. exactly who to call if something comes up that I don't have the answer to. I love that. So, but also to that point, it, it really comes down to being able to have a holistic understanding of right. what's going on and right. knowing either how to solve the problem or know who to go to, to solve that problem and get mm-hmm. the team to, to work well together. Yeah. hundred percent. I think that's great advice. Right. And, and um, you know, th- like you mentioned, I think we were chatting before, you know, you had those high aspirations and then branched out and now, you know, probably your perspective, even now, like, I don't, I don't know if, if you'd have gotten your way and moved right to the top, would it have been as fulfilling and valuable? You know, would, would that have even been what you wanted looking back? Or, or are you happier mm. now or more fulfilled now? I'm curious. I would venture to say that I'm more fulfilled now. I have 
a greater sense of purpose. Now I will say that I, I'd like to think that if I made it all the way up to the top as a C-suite executive in the, in the IT arena, that I would eventually figure out the importance of empowering your team and building teams and coaching and mentoring and things like that. And I also realize it's kind of probably not worth spending too much time thinking about it because like whether you're you made good or bad decisions, the decisions we make in our lives take us down a certain path. Right. And I think had I never stepped in and started leading HR, would I have ever had the exposure to leadership development and coaching and, and had the experience of stepping in and leading a team in a function that I know nothing about? Yeah. And so for me, it really comes down to, hey, these are the choices that I've made. I'm going to keep rolling with it. And this is new information. I'm going to do what I need to, to to keep moving forward and just kind of chase those those feelings and, and the things that excite me and ignite that fire in me. I'm just going to continue chasing those, whichever path it takes me down. Sure. So let's change directions a little bit. I know you, you just mentioned going to HR and not really knowing anything about it. And I, I, to me and and maybe many others. The HR world's kind of a, a mystical sort of world that, you know, we it's, it's either good or bad when they're involved. Right. Uh, you know, yeah. typically. So yeah. like what what advice would you give for leaders and in organizations, individual contributors, whoever, you know, what advice would you give to, to work with HR better and, and for, you know, HR folks out there, vice versa? Like what, what do we need to know about the HR world? OK, so I'll say something kind of comical that I learned. I think the most aspect, the most challenging aspect of stepping in and leading HR and IT at the same time was having to switch hats. Okay. My IT hat, my HR hat going back and forth. By and large, IT professionals are very analytical, data-driven, introverts, logic-based. That's how all the conversations are. In the HR space, it is 110% emotion 200% of the time. So going from data and logic to emotion and back and forth is very challenging. Now, in terms of how to interface with human resources, I see this a lot where employees, they're afraid of HR because most of their interactions that they've seen or heard of come in a negative light. It doesn't have to be that way. Part of the reason they come in a negative light is because somebody in the business, some and a manager, or there ends up being some sort of employee relations issue that they're not trained on. They don't know how to best handle any given employee relations situation. Mm-hmm. They end up screwing something up. Okay. Well, then HR comes in after the fact and has to clean the mess up. It doesn't have to be that way. Mm-hmm. I think if, if employees, and managers and leaders would realize, hey, I'm going to take this proactive approach before I write this employee up or before I have this difficult conversation. Reach out to HR, someone that you have a good relationship with in the human resources team and say, hey, here's the challenge that I'm facing. Any tips or tricks on the best way to handle this situation? They will be more than happy to have that conversation because most of the time when HR is involved, it's after the fact right. and the HR team gets frustrated. Why didn't you just pick up the phone and call me? I could have just talked you through how to handle this. Right. Now we're in this situation where 
the whole, like everything was blundered and we may end up getting sued. So if you take that proactive approach before having those conversations, right. It will definitely help smooth things out. It will also help strengthen that relationship. Mm -hmm. Now on the human resources side of things, I think it's also important for HR professionals to feel comfortable reaching out to business leaders. If they see something that's going on, if they hear rumblings in the organization, it's okay to reach out to the leadership and say, Hey, here's what I'm hearing. Like, is there anything going on? Is there anything we can kind of work through on this together? So I I think there's a little bit of a wall between operations and human resources at times, and it takes effort on both sides to be able to start breaking that wall down Mm -hmm. because when you do, HR will feel more appreciated. Mm -hmm. The operations guys will actually learn some things and potentially avoid putting the corporation in any sort of risky situation. So I don't know if that answers the question or not, but those are some things that I've seen in terms of just don't be scared to pick up the phone and call and have a conversation. What? So, you know, I'm, I'm say you're the CEO of an organization. You're building an HR team from scratch, right? What, what is your value? Like, what is that HR team doing for the organization? Like, what is, what is their value piece to the organization? And I, I don't, you know, I don't mean this in an insulting way or anything like that. Yeah. I just, you know, no, I just, no, I, no, I I'm trying it. to help our, our listeners understand because I, I know for me, like I, I hear and people hear, you know, sort of common cliches, right? And I, I don't know if they're necessarily true. So I'm just curious what, like, what, what would you say um, your value proposition for the HR team would be? You know, I, I think part of the role is HR is obviously you have to process all of the data. You have to pay the employees. You have to get all their information in the system. So I think there's a few different aspects of HR. There's the data piece Mm -hmm. of HR and management and structure that has to exist. And then there's also kind of the the touchy-feely employee relations Mm -hmm. type stuff or type realm that exists within HR. And I think, you know, Gary Vaynerchuk, I I respect the heck out of him. And it's kind of comical. The first time I heard it, I chuckled a little bit, but he took over and, and he ran HR in his corporation for, for the longest time. Yeah. And then he started to seek out his head of HR. He called his chief heart officer. Yeah. Because, you know, whenever it comes to leading HR, you have to, yes, you have to understand the data and all that, but the human element of HR is so, so crucial. And, it's vitally important that you find somebody that one aligns with the core values of the business can effectively communicate and build trust and relationships with the business leaders, Mm -hmm. but also someone that understands the importance of leadership development and coaching and mentoring and building a strong culture for the corporation. A lot of small businesses, as they end up growing, usually the entrepreneur or CEO is able to build a strong culture because the company is their passion. Mm-hmm. Everything, this is their vision and they're able to communicate it effectively to everyone in the organization. As yeah. businesses get larger and larger and larger and become sure. publicly traded, 
there starts to be a little bit of a disconnect there just because the very nature of running a corporation with 30,000 employees is much different than running a a business with a hundred employees. Yeah. So having somebody that can build trust, build relationships, but also stress the importance of that human element. Mm -hmm. I just, I can't stress enough how crucial that is to finding a strong HR leader for your corporation. Yeah. I love that, man. I think, one thing you, t- I love the Gary V reference, man. When I'm, when I'm first heard about Gary, I had mixed opinions and, you know, I heard, I heard about him kind of just as this entrepreneur guy, but mm-hmm. he's got a lot of good mindset on how to deal with people. And, um, you know, I really, I've heard his chief heart officer thing. I really mm-hmm. like that, but I, you know, I think what many don't realize or, or may not realize is how important HR is to the cult and, and your HR processes and things they are so important to the culture of the organization. And, you know, Gary, I think he even makes the comment, you know, you build culture by hiring and firing by, by promotion and demotion, right? If you, if you have a, a cancerous person in your organization that you don't get rid of, you know, all the good people are, are seeing that and, and it's affecting the culture and, and vice versa, right? If you got, um, you know, uh, good folks in the organization and they're, and they're, you know, getting, uh, criticized or whatever, it, mm-hmm. those decisions, those people decisions are really what truly is going to impact the culture of your organization, what behaviors are rewarded, what behaviors are scolded, what, what, what's punished, what, what's praised that, that is how you build culture. And I, you know, I, I see that so huge that, that the HR team can have a huge influence and impact on the culture of an organization. I, I you know, I feel like leaders maybe just see them as like, Oh, you know, I'm just going to consult them or, or whatever. And the HR people, and there's all these processes and red tape and things. And, and there's some of that, right. But I just feel like, you know, maybe they're undervalued or, or maybe um, sometimes they don't even see how much of an impact they could potentially have. Yeah, that's another really good point. And, and whenever I think about those toxic individuals that are just tolerated in the organization, no doubt we've, we've all seen examples of somebody who's just an absolute asshole, but they just keep getting promoted or they just stick around forever and just cause so much damage in a business. And I think a lot of that stems from, I'm going to say undeveloped leaders that maybe are afraid to have a difficult conversation. They're afraid of conflict. Well, I see how much damage this person is doing. I don't know how to have that conversation with him. And he's a friend of mine. So they just kind of let it linger and linger. And the damage that's done to the corporation is just it's ridiculous because so many will just let it go and go and go and go. And you end up having your high performers that are really carrying the ball 90% of the time, get fed up and frustrated and leave. And then usually that toxic individual will say, Oh, well, they were bad. They did this. They didn't need to be here. They needed to go anyways. And I think it's very unfortunate, but it speaks to the importance of leadership development and, and, the skills that are required to successfully lead a business. And one of those is the ability to have crucial conversations Mm -hmm. and address issues. Because if you don't, those high performers, they will leave, Mm -hmm. especially now. I mean, there's a a phrase coined for it, the great resignation. (laughs) At this point in life, our time, it's businesses are are struggling with retention of personnel. And that's Mm -hmm. kind of a, a, a macro conversation to, to talk through, but it is very interesting to watch 
all of that unfold and then what it's doing in terms of <laughs> compensation. I mean, it's yeah, having yeah. quite a, an interesting effect. I'm curious, you know, just touching on that broadly, like I, th- I think the COVID thing, you know, the whole, Hey, work from home now overnight, like, Hey, everybody was just going about their daily life, doing their daily habits. Everything's, everything's just moving along. And then all of a sudden I feel like it's almost like there was a spell over all of us. And then at some point you break those, those daily habits and it just, it like broke this veil. And now it's almost like everyone's just like, what, wait, why were we going? We can do our work from home. Like, and, and everything still keeps happening. I mean, like there's definitely benefits to the human interaction. Like I'd much rather be doing this in person. You know, I'm jealous. Again, I'm jealous of the podcast studio. (laughs) I, uh, I love doing that in-person podcast, but you know, I, I just it, it was such an interesting sort of cataclysmic change to society where it, it wasn't like one or two people felt it. I, I feel like it's like everybody noticed it. Did you do you have that same sort of feeling? And like, just what are your general thoughts about it? So that that's been such an interesting topic. And I have been following it very closely just because I find it fascinating, quite frankly, When we look at what is going on right now, especially, and I know I said the great resignation earlier, what I'm seeing is the power dynamic has shifted from employer to employee. Mm -hmm. Employees now know I can go somewhere else and do this. I can go make more money. I can go work from home. And so these employees are seeing that they have control of their life. It's no longer a fear of my boss and the company and getting fired. They're realizing that they're the ones in control. Mm-hmm. Now, to touch on people working from home versus in the office, you got to go a little bit deeper into that conversation because, yes, many companies said, hey, we're going to work from home for the next year. Some very large public companies said, hey, we're going to work from home for two years or we're going to work from home forever. Imagine the appeal as a corporation to say, hey, we can save thousands or hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars on commercial real estate Mm -hmm. by letting everybody work from home. Mm -hmm. That was very attractive for corporations financially. And then once we look to about 12 to 14 months into this pandemic, maybe 16 months, businesses are starting to realize that's probably not entirely sustainable mm-hmm. because the the culture of an organization that was already in place worked out really well because there was trust built with everybody mm-hmm. as natural attrition occurs over time and you bring fresh blood into the corporation it's very difficult to assimilate them into your culture if they never meet their boss They never meet their team. They never meet any of their peers or anybody else. If it's just on a computer screen, it is very difficult to build that trust because the trust isn't just built in transactions like Mm -hmm. emails back and forth. Trust is built when you're sitting in a conference room waiting for the meeting to start. Hey, how was your kid's soccer game? Right. Well, what did you have going on this weekend? It's those little interactions over time that Mm -hmm. build trust. And when you eliminate that as an option for employees, Mm -hmm. your culture, it is very difficult to sustain because Mm -hmm. not many leaders are equipped and fully understand how to lead an entirely remote workforce. It can be done. 
you can build culture, but you have to put such a considerable amount of effort into doing it and making sure that it's done correctly so that your team does increase their output or continue to come to the table and and give it their all. Now, I will also say that usually people that were highly introverted, they just shined through the pandemic because they just got to sit at home in their office and yeah, they and crushed it. out code and just yeah. crushed it. <laughs> and then on the opposite end of the spectrum, I saw people that were social butterflies where the isolation was debilitating. Oh yeah. And I had to spend considerable amount of time having virtual calls, coaching them, talking them through, sending them cookies, just, just all sorts of random things because of the human interaction that most people don't want to admit they need, right. but we are social creatures. I mean, millions oh, yeah, of years of evolution, we, we are pack animals. Yeah. And, and I, I think one other thing I'll touch on, I think, which is so unfortunate is there was so much fear propagated by the world that people were afraid to step out of their homes, right? Like they would have their groceries delivered Right. They, they, they just never would leave their home at all. Mm-hmm. And I, I remember having conversations like, hey, let's go to the boardroom. Let's sit down, have a conversation. We'll have some food brought in. We can social distance. The board seats 30 people or the boardroom seats 30 people. We'll all grab a corner so we can social distance and wear our masks. But let's have that human interaction. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, I'm not going to come to the office and die. <laughs> okay. Maybe that's a little bit excessive, but, um, but it also speaks to how much fear has been instilled in people. So there's, oh man, there's so many dynamics at play over the past Mm -hmm. two years that have been very challenging for, for organizations and leaders. Yeah. The, the fear dynamic, Sean is definitely a cancerous one. And I, you know, I think, you know, I bring the Christian perspective to it and we don't have a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power and of hope and of a sound mind. And, you know, I, I just think people, you know, if you, if you really uh, think about meeting together with other people, right. The, you know, the Bible says, don't, don't refrain from, from gathering, you know, around God's word together, you know, being around an environment of people, like-minded people that share your values you know, head in the same direction, have a similar vision is so it's important, like you said, to the human element and, and it, it stems deeply in, in faith as well. And so, you know, as, as we move forward, if you're listening right now and, and you're still fearful out there, I just want you to know that, you know, you can cling to your faith and, and that spirit of fear is not, is not one of the Holy spirit. It's not, it's not a spirit of God that, that fearful spirit is just it's cancerous. It's bad. It's, it, it can only bring negative things. And, you know, I, I'm one that just goes about it and, and I've got a great position and I trust them and I'm going to live my life. You know, I follow the rules, whatever, but, um, you know, I think people we're, we're at this point in time where we have to do and see things with, with our own eyes that make sense. Right. And, and I feel like we put a lot of trust in our authorities. We put a lot of trust in different organizations that should have our best interest at heart. And, you know, unless you're hiding under a rock or very, very naive and ignorant, and I, I mean that with all love and sincerity, you know, these, these organizations out in the world, if, if you really think they have your best interest at, at heart, I think many times you're probably mistaken. And so just 
keep those things in mind. You know, don't don't let yourself become fearful of all these external things going on. You got to know your identity, who you are. And I think, Sean, I don't know about you, but I think there's a there's a silent majority of people out in the world that, you know, they they are very frustrated. They're very um, discouraged. They want to stand up. Maybe they're maybe they're fearful to really share what what they've got on their heart because of potential ramifications of that. But, you know, I just want to let them know and maybe give them comfort that I believe that the majority of people out there aren't fearful. And um, you ju- you're just seeing this spell they're casting through the magic TV box and uh, trying to get you to be fearful. So you follow the rules and do what they say. I know yeah. I kind of went out a rabbit hole there, but <laughs> no, but I mean, that's, that's such an important aspect of, of what's going on in the world today. So many people are fearful. And I think if you find yourself in that situation, realize that you are not alone, that there are people that you can reach out to and, and have conversations that, that have a different perspective and different mindset. I highly encourage people to find coaches and mentors and things like that, because they're able to come to the table with a different perspective and can kind of help guide people down a a better path. And a lot of times it's really just shining a light because these people have to, they have to go down that path on their own. Yeah. Any coach, mentor, guide, anything, any of the good ones, in my opinion, they're not going to give you the answer. All they're going to do is say, Hey, here's the flashlight. There's the yellow brick road, mm-hmm. but you have to walk it. So Brad Lee says all the time, you know, I didn't, I didn't do it for you. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't do anything. I, I told you yep. something, but you, the one that changed your life. Yep. You're the one that has to do it. I love that, Sean. I love it. Um, Hey man, kind of on that coaching topic, how's coaching going? I know you do some coaching. Tell us a little bit about uh, the coaching you do, man. I do, man. I absolutely love it. And you know, it started, well, if I flash back to probably about a year ago now, things were very rough in oil and gas. And I started thinking to myself, Oh, I need to have some sort of a plan B. And I've just, like I've mentioned, been so passionate about leadership development and coaching and mentoring And so I decided, hey, I'm going to start doing this on the side, trying to help more people figure out their path and and be successful. So I started doing it on the side. And that's really one of the drivers behind starting the podcast and the YouTube channel. And and I actually started going to Toastmasters recently because I'm wanting to get more comfortable with being uncomfortable. Yeah. But it's, it's growing so great. And I've actually had people reach out to me from listening to the podcast, say, hey, can we bounce some ideas off of one another? Can I, can I ask you for this? Mm-hmm. And, you know, Phil, a lot of times I don't even charge them. I just, Hey, yeah, let's talk through it. Let's get jump on a call and, and talk 100%. through it because yeah. it's not so much about the money for me as much as just being able to help people out because I see so many people that are, that are just lost and they don't know what to do. And 100%. you know, me taking a half an hour to an hour out of my day, if I can help someone, set them on the right path or show them a better path. God, it's, it's so fulfilling. They're so appreciative. And, and that's what it's all about. I've just, like I mentioned earlier, it's not about the money for me. Money's nice for sure, but that's not what it's about. That's not the driver. It's about just helping people in, in their journey of life. I've had people Mm -hmm. that have helped me along the way 
that I will be forever indebted to. Yeah. And so being able to help them out. So all of that to be said, it's going really well. Um, I kind of have built and developed a, a year-long program for those that are want to coach uh, that's focused our coaching on the business and leadership development side of things where mm-hmm. we kind of say, hey, for Q1, we're going to talk through and help you overcome challenges that you are facing today. Whatever that may be, we're going to spend a quarter focusing on that. And then the second quarter will be focused really on learning leadership skills and traits to add them to your toolbox, effective communication, leading up, delegation, things like that. And then the third quarter is, okay, now we're going to start really applying all of these lessons that we learned. And then the fourth quarter is kind of a train the trainer where at the end of that year, you will have gone in and identified somebody that you would end up coaching and mentoring and what that does in my mind and the reason behind creating that framework and building it like that is one, a year is a long enough period of time to really change someone's perspective, help them build and develop skills. You have touch points along the way, usually every two weeks. Sometimes we do weekly. It just kind of depends. But you really solidify that change. Mm-hmm. And then that final quarter of helping them coach and guide and mentor someone else mm-hmm. allows them to then propagate that through their team, their yeah. business, or friends and family, whatever it may be. And so my, my vision for being able to help people is to, I'm sure you've heard, uh, good leaders build more leaders. Yeah. So my hope is that I I am not the bottleneck or constraint because there's only so many hours in a day and so many people that I can work with. But if I can build others who Mm -hmm. can then build others, Mm -hmm. that's how you have great levels of impact to the world. 100% Sean. I absolutely love it, man. I think that's great advice. If you're listening out there, make sure you go follow Sean Barnes at the underscore Sean Barnes pretty much everywhere except uh, LinkedIn, just Sean Barnes. Sean, I ask a question of all my guests before we wrap up. Um, it's one Gary V helped me, you know, bringing up Gary a lot. I feel like yeah. Gary gets a lot of free advertising for me, but um, <laughs> he's got some, some cool mindset. And the one perspective piece he shared with me was, and, and I heard him say was, you know, you might find an old picture of your great grandpa, right? Like, like I look back at some of my ancestors and I, you know, I may have one black and white photo or, or something, right? Like, how cool would it be if people could see great, great grandpa Phil talking with great uncle Sean Barnes, you know, on a podcast for an hour and get to hear their mindset, hear what they had going on, hear their perspective on the world. Like, that's so cool. And with that perspective in mind, you know, thinking that, you know, people might see this for generations to come. What's the one thing that you would want to leave them with today? Oh, man. So, you know, I've talked about following your passion for so many years. And I think in in recent months, it was, I'm going to steal a quote from somebody else. Uh, Mike Rowe talked about, don't follow your passion, follow the opportunity. And as I've reflected and thought about that, that is the true path. You follow the opportunity and bring your passion with you. Because you may have a passion for underwater basket weaving, which is great. That's fantastic. But it's probably not going to really materialize into anything 
significant, at least that you can support yourself or your family financially. Mm-hmm. So I think the big takeaway is follow the opportunity and bring your passion with you. I love that, man. That's dynamite. If I had the Bradley bomb, I would drop it. I need to up my uh, technology. <laughs> but I love it. Sean, thanks for joining me. Man. This has been super fun. Y'all go follow Sean and y'all have a great rest of your day. Go lead everything. If you think someone would benefit from hearing this episode or any of this content, please share it and send them over to GoLeadEverything.com to learn more. It has been amazing to hear about all the individuals who listen to and are getting value from the content here at GLE. Thank you for your support. You are the reason we do what we do. See you next time. Go Lead.